This week, the Nationals take on the Bryce Harper-led Philadelphia Phillies, and Walters is a great spot to meet before and after the games. Walters also is showing Olympic coverage all day and night, and this Saturday night, UFC 265 with Jose Aldo taking on Pedro Munoz and main event Derek Lewis versus undefeated Cyril Gaon. Make your reservations for this week's events now at waltersdc.com slash reservation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's a swing and a long drive by Carter Keeble. This is way back. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. That one clears the visitor's bullpen into section 102. And it's back-to-back home runs on consecutive pitches for the Nationals. Spino ready. He brings it home. Swing a fly ball right center field. Long chase for Robles. This one slicing. He's not going to get it. It's one hop off the wall in right center. Harper racing around third trying to score. The throw in overshoots everybody. It's backed up by Keyboom and the Phillies lead. Harper scores on the double for Hoskins. Their fourth double in the inning. And they lead it 4-3. to three. The 2-1 is skied in the air to left field. Well hit. On the way back is Herrera looking up. And this one is gone. They throw the ball in, but it's a home run. Garcia slides into second. He doesn't realize he has his first big league multi-homer game. That hit the railing beyond the flower bed. And after spotting into second, Garcia will complete the home run trot on his third homer of the season. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, August 5th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, off the massive sell-off of last week, I feel like we as Nationals fans and observers need to sort of recalibrate things, right? So you have the actual outcomes of games, right? You have the actual results of these games. But then I, I think now we have to look at these games through the prism of, okay, was this a win or a loss in terms of where the Nats are at? Was this a Nats win or a Nats loss? This was an MLB loss for the Nationals on Wednesday night, 9-5 the final to Philadelphia at Nationals Park in Game 3 of a four-game series. Okay, fine, whatever. But this, to me, was a Nats win on Wednesday night because you had Victor Robles homering. You had Carter Keboom homering. You had Luis Garcia homering twice. And at the end of the day, that's more significant than the 9-5 final score. So I know it's kind of rosy to do it this way, Mark, but can we actually count this in at least our reality as a Nationals win on Wednesday night? Uh, That might be a bit too far for my tastes, Al, but I would say that yes, we should be focusing more on the individual performances right now than on the team at large, and particularly focusing on the individuals who are supposed to be part of the plan now beyond this year. 
So in that regard, I think what those young guys did at the plate tonight does supersede what, say, Paolo Espino and Jeffrey Rodriguez did on the mound, guys who are not really part of the long-term vision necessarily. So I'll give you that. It still doesn't make it any easier to swallow a game that, you know, really was not a good baseball game. And this caught me by surprise. I didn't even realize it was quite this bad, but it's true now. The Nats, remember, they were two games over 500 on June 30th after sweeping the Rays. And since then, they have lost 21 of 30. I mean, this is a long, brutal stretch of games now. And even though there was a little optimism when they faced the Cubs over the weekend, they've just lost three in a row to a Phillies team that I know they're in it. They're only a game and a half out. But I don't look at the Phillies and say, oh boy, they're clearly superior to the Nationals. They've got their share of issues. So to me, it's a little bit discouraging, the results of these. But yes, in the bigger picture, I think we do need to focus on the individuals here more so than what the team as a whole is doing. Yeah. Well, whether you are a part of my alternate reality or not, I really feel like this Nat season, it's about certain people and it's not about these other people at all. Like personally, I don't care anymore about Alcides Escobar. I don't care anymore about Gerardo Parra. I don't care anymore about Ryan Zimmerman. I don't say that to be harsh. I don't say that to like discredit these people, but they're not a part of what the Nationals are going to be doing next season. I firmly believe that. So it really is all about the Robleses and the Kibooms and the Garcias and, you know, the Riley Adamses and people like that. And so to that end, I thought Wednesday night was good. But yeah, I mean, if you if you are invested in the outcomes of these games, you're going to be disappointed here down the stretch. And that's they weren't a good team before the sell off. So we can only imagine what these final two months will be with this ball club post the sell off. So with what the young guys did do early in this game on Wednesday night, Robles, I mean, second home run of the season. I mean, that tells you a lot. The guy, even after this game, he's slugging 296 on the year. On the first pitch thrown from Chase Anderson, a 424-foot shot. Terrific to see him do as he did. We saw Gene Segura do the same thing the previous night for the Phillies. Robles does it on Wednesday night with a first pitch leadoff home run in the first inning. In this case, the bottom of the first inning. There was some oomph behind that, too. A projected 424 feet per stat cast. Just his second homer of the season. Uh, he also draws a walk. Carter Keeboom had a home run, a two-out first pitch solo shot to left field, bottom of the second inning, and going back-to-back with Luis Garcia. That went a projected 410 feet per stat cast. And then Keeboom added a two-out RBI single in the bottom of the ninth inning. He has had defensive issues at third base in this latest go-round at the major league level, but he's actually hit pretty well over these last few games. And then Luis Garcia, who I know he's not necessarily known for his power, but two home runs for him on Wednesday night. He was out there as a starting second baseman with Escobar back as a shortstop, number seven batter. And Garcia, two-out solo shot to right, bottom of the second, going back-to-back with Keyboom and the leadoff home run in the bottom of the seventh inning. So more of that from those three guys would have Nationals fans feeling better, no matter the outcomes of these games come the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all five runs they scored in this game were driven in by guys who were 24 and and younger. That's good. Obviously, that's good for Robles to hit a home run. That's great. We haven't seen enough of that from him. But bigger picture, Robles now out of the leadoff spot here in the last few days. If I have it right, I think he's reached base in eight out of 18 plate appearances. That's good. That's what you want. You want him getting on base. And he even said afterwards, that's still his number one motivation is get on base. It's not even necessarily hitting for power. Now, if he gets a good pitch to hit like he did in the first pitch fastball, go for it. And he paid off. But the walk later on, I thought was important. So yeah, those are good things for him. Garcia, he did hit for some power in Rochester this year. And that's actually an emerging part of his game. I don't know how it's going to translate the big league level if it's something he's going to do a lot of, but he's hit three of them now here in the last week or so. 
And what I really liked was the second homer because it came off a lefty and it went to the opposite field. And there are so many things that Luis Garcia, you can see, models himself after Juan Soto. He really tries to be like Juan in a lot of ways. That was a Juan Soto type of home run. Opposite field off the lefty on a line drive. That was good. So I was really encouraged by that. And Keyboom kind of quietly has been swinging a much better bat here lately. He's, he's finally hitting some balls with authority. And I wouldn't say that I had felt that up until maybe two or three days ago. But finally, we are seeing him make solid contact and some explosion off the bat that you're saying, okay, there it is. That's what they've been talking about all this time. So good stuff. We need to see more of it, obviously. But at least on this night, from those three, those were definitely positives. Do you know what the organizational thinking has been on Garcia as a batter? Because his overall minor league batting stats are not that good. But he did kill it for AAA Rochester this season. Like, do they think he can be a 20, 25, 30 home run guy? Do they think he's more of an on-base guy? Is it more about his glove and not necessarily his offense? What do they think about Garcia, the hitter? I think they see him as a flashy player who can do a lot of exciting things and maybe not the consistency that you you know would hope for, perhaps. So I don't know if they see him as a... Um, high on base, you know, he's a little bit more of a free swinger. So I don't know if they see him really as a top of the order type of hitter. They do think he can hit for some power. And we saw that this year and we're starting to see it the last few days. That would be nice. Does that mean 25, 30 homers in the big leagues? I don't know, but I think it is something that he wants to do. They want him to be, you know, better at two strike approach, all those kinds of things you look for in a young player. And defensively, they see a lot of flash, but they need more consistency there as well. And that does point to one negative from this game. That was the error that he made late in the game at second base. Andres Machado delivers. First pitch to Oduba Herrera. Hit of the ground right side. Coming in for the outfield. Luis Garcia can't scoop it up with a glove. And Davey Martinez unprompted brought that one up when talking about Luis. You know, as I told Louis, you know, you just got to play the whole game. You know, I mean, you swung that well. Uh, that play, you know, that he tried to make where he came running in. I said, you got to you got to know that, you know, he wasn't really running. So you could have stopped your feet, just grab the ball and throw it to first base. So but it's just, you know, it's, it's young mistakes. He's going to learn. They need that to be better for him to be the player that they expect him to be. Yeah. I mean, especially playing a key defensive position like second base. Garcia in his minor league career only had a 715 OPS. I mean, that's not very good for a guy who's supposed to be a top prospect. But Garcia this season for AAA Rochester, over 159 plate appearances, a 970 OPS. He slugged 599. So he did a really nice job uh, for Rochester this season. So that was the good with the Nationals lineup on Wednesday night. There was plenty of bad. It was an odd night. Nats hit four home runs. You love that, but only had three other hits, all of which were singles. Nats worked just two walks. Nats went one of five with runners in scoring position. And the Nats were sloppy in the field. Three errors, one on Garcia that Mark just mentioned, and then two on the returning Alcides Escobar, who looked all out of sorts in this game. I mean, he wasn't out for that long, and the guy has played a bunch in his career. But off missing the Nats' previous four games due to a hit-by-pitch, Escobar was back out there, starting shortstop number two batter. He goes uh, in the game over. He does draw a walk in the game, so that was good. But he commits two errors, and uh, he had been solid in the field for the Nats, so I, I was a little surprised to see him play like this. You know, I guess he was rusty, but that two-out throwing error in the Phillies' one-run eighth inning uh, loomed large. And, and that was, to me, that was so interesting because that was about as routine of a grounder as you'll ever see. That was hit, like, right to him. He barely had to move. Maybe it was a little slow of a grounder, but uh, he ended up making a throwing error of that. So like you said, it was not a pretty baseball game on Wednesday night, and uh, Escobar had something to do with that. Now the pitch, swinging a ground ball to short. It's fielded by Escobar, plants and throws, and pulls Bell off the bag. Jankowski is safe, and the inning will continue. 
Yeah, not real clean. Now he's playing shortstop, and for the most part here, at least, he had been playing second base, though most of his career he was a shortstop for the Royals. So it's not a foreign position to him at all. And like we said, the sense that I got here was that they probably want to look at Garcia more at second base, which means Escobar at shortstop. So I think we're going to see more of that here. But if you're going to be the shortstop on this team for the rest of the season, I know you may not be part of the long-term vision. You got to make the routine plays. And especially in an infield with other young guys, you got to be the one to take charge and set an example for everyone else. So they're going to need a little bit better from him in that regard. And then the other, to me, kind of disappointing, and this is not just tonight, but this has happened a few nights in a row now. Juan Soto has not really looked very good at the plate, I don't think. He had that surge, the power surge that came you know, in the week or two after the All-Star break. But since the trade-off, he has not really looked the same. And I don't know if he's just kind of maybe feeling it a little bit. Maybe he's feeling down. Maybe he's just kind of getting back to those habits that he was in. But he's hitting a lot of ground balls again. And, you know, for a team that doesn't have a lot of offensive firepower anymore, they desperately need him to be better than this if they are going to score some runs and not just count on solo homers from others. Yeah, I was just about to bring him up. Uh, he has not looked good. 0 for 4 with a strikeout, left three men on base on Wednesday night. He has not done much in this series. 1 for 3 with a single and an intentional walk in the 7-5 loss on Monday night. 1 for 4 with a single in the 5-4 loss on Tuesday night. You know, it's back to that phase of not hitting for power. You know, yeah, he'll get some walks, which are nice, but, you know, it doesn't do a ton for you. His hits seem to only be singles. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sit here and say, like, he stopped trying. I don't think that's the case. I also don't want to do the thing of, well, you know, the lineup lacks proper oomph and he's not being appropriately protected because I don't think that's an excuse. I think when you're Juan Soto, the protection stuff, it helps, but it's not like an absolute must for you to do well. And Josh Bell is doing well. I mean, that to me should be protection enough. Like Soto's better than this. It's been a weird year for him. I mean, let's be honest. The final numbers may end up being good. I mean, they still are good for the year. But we're going to look back on this, whatever the final numbers end up being, and saying, man, that was a circuitous route he took to those numbers because at times he was on fire. And then at times you were like, what is up with this guy? And we're kind of back into one of those phases of what is up with Juan Soto. He's been surprisingly streaky. And the one thing you could say about Juan Soto throughout his career until this point was that he was the opposite of that. He was never streaky. I think there was a point he had never gone more than three games in a row without a hit. And I don't think that exists anymore. So It has been a strange one for him. And I agree. I mean, the Cubs, there were times in that series that it felt like they were pitching around him. And so he wasn't getting anything to hit. But in this series, I don't feel like that. I mean, he put the ball in play four times. Well, he had a chance to put a ball in play four times in this game. He struck out looking once and then grounded out the other times. And like you said, Bell has been productive behind him. So that's not an issue of team saying, oh, we're going to pitch around Soto just to get to Bell instead. It's hard to know what's going on through a guy's head, but I could see there just being a little discouragement from what's happened here. And it would be understandable if that's the case. Like, I don't want to criticize him for that. But at some point, you got to realize, okay, here's the situation now. Here's what we're looking at the rest of the season and beyond. I'm the focal point. And not even just that, but Davies talked about it too. Like, he's sort of the leader. It's his team now. And as he goes, they're going to go. And you have to set an example for the others. I know he's only 22 years old, but he is the star of the team, and especially for young guys who in some cases are even older than him, but in experience-wise, they're younger than him, they're going to take their cues from him. So I think it is important that he not show any signs of fatigue or being down or lack of effort. You know, again, I'm not seeing like him lollygagging it out there. It's nothing like that. But just you don't see quite that same swagger that we saw a while back. And I get why it may be tough for him to show that right now. But for him to be who he truly is, I think he needs to get that back. 
Yeah, and I don't know how much this ever enters into a player's mind because baseball is not football, baseball is not basketball, but in a series in which you have a high-profile guy on the other side who used to play on your team and Bryce Harper, and he's having a very good series, okay? I mean, I know no Nationals fan wants to hear that, but Harper's done a really good job in this series. You'd like it for your star to outstar their star, and that's not happening in this series. Harper is outstarring Soto in this series so far. Like I said, it's not one-on-one. It's not Soto versus Harper, but to whatever extent that can be a thing, you know, it wouldn't be so terrible if Soto outshined Harper in this series. That has not happened so far in this series. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Tickets for the remainder of the 2021 Fredericksburg National Season are on sale now. They have promotions for every night of the week, like $2 Tuesdays, Thirsty Thursdays, Firework Fridays, and Giveaway Sundays. If you can't make it to the game in person, you can listen to a free online radio broadcast on the Fred Nats Baseball Network or watch a live video stream with a subscription to MILB.TV. Stop by the box office or visit FredNats.com for ticket information and see the future stars of the Washington Nationals today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Josh Bell did not have a very good night on Wednesday night, 0 for 4. Riley Adams was the national starting catcher on Wednesday night. That was kind of interesting. He went 0 for 4. We just saw him make his major league debut on uh, Tuesday night off the Nationals. We're calling him from AAA Rochester on Tuesday. If we're establishing an organizational hierarchy at catcher right now, so Kiber Ruiz clearly is number one. Is Adams number two and then Tress Barrera number three? Or is it possible they actually view Barrera ahead of Adams? What do you think they're thinking there? I think they want to use the next two months to make that decision. I think that's one of the reasons we're not seeing Ruiz yet. They want him playing every day and getting the experience at AAA before they call him up. But in the meantime, they're going to use this as a chance to take a look at both guys, Barrera and Adams. And, you know, Barrera's been around for a while now, and I'm not so sure that they ever really thought of him in terms of a frontline prospect or anything. And I don't think necessarily they're thinking here's a number one catcher. But he's done a very nice job, and I think he's turned some heads this year, especially when he was catching, you know, the veterans. He was catching Scherzer and Corbin, you know, in what was still some meaningful games at that point when they were trying to get back in the race. And he's done a nice job. So, you know, at the moment, maybe just because they've seen more of him, maybe he has a leg up right now. But I think you're going to get some more looks at Adams. And, you know, if nothing else, they're going to be in a good position here finally with young catchers and the depth that you can have somebody at AAA who, when anything happens, you can call them up and they're not, you know, you're not either calling up a 36-year-old or you're not calling up some guy who doesn't really have any business being here. That that looks like three major league catchers that you have to choose from and they can ha- just have two up at a time. Hopefully that'll all work out. But yeah, I think they're going to use this next time until Ruiz is called up. I think they're going to use this opportunity to see what they have in those two and maybe help them decide who is the number two guy next year. Well, the national starting pitcher in the 9-5 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Wednesday night was our guy, Paolo Espino, the secret weapon. And so secret is he as a weapon now that I think even he doesn't know that he's a weapon anymore because Paolo's come back down to earth over the last month or so. And he had, if not his worst outing of the season on Wednesday night, then certainly among the worst. He had that relief outing in which he came up and gave up a grand slam. That might be the worst, but this was bad. Six runs in five innings, and he got hit hard. You know, sometimes you could say, well, you know, this happened and that happened, and the guy got babbipped, and there were sort of some defensive miscues. No, this was batting practice off Paolo in this game. He gave up eight hits, a homer, four doubles, and three singles. And the four doubles, incredibly, all came in one inning. A nightmare of a four-run third in which the Phillies totaled four doubles and a single. And if you watch the game, you know this. It was like one hard hit ball after another. I mean, Andrew Knapp begins things in that third inning. uh, Leadoff double off the right field scoreboard. Travis Jankowski, RBI double. Gene Segura, RBI double. Bryce Harper then came through with an RBI single on an 0-2 pitch. And then Reese Hoskins, an RBI double. And then came the home run. Two runs in the top of the fifth. Paolo gives up a one-out single to Bryce Harper, followed by a one-out two-run homer by Reese Hoskins to the second deck in left field, the homer going up projected 434 feet per stat cast. And then later in the inning was Paolo issuing a two-out eight-pitch walk of Alec Bohm. So this was uncharacteristic. Paolo threw 90 pitches over the five innings. He was not his usual pitch-efficient self. This was kind of one of those nights on which Paolo Espino pitched like we would have thought going into the season. He's been a very pleasant surprise for the Nats this year, but this was not a good evening for him. So that stretch in the third inning you're talking about, there were over a stretch of six batters, five of them just hit lasers off him, like you said. And the only one who didn't was Chase Anderson, the opposing pitcher, and that's only because he bunted. So like he really didn't 
effectively get anybody out or at least induce any weak contact during that stretch. And it was bad. And he said, yeah, mistakes. I mean, if you make mista- uh, mistakes in this level, you get you get punished. So uh, definitely a good amount of pitches that I left up in the zone. Just got to work on it. Got to make sure I, I make my pitches down in the zone and keep working. And that's not who he is. He's got to be down in the zone to be effective. And he knew that that wasn't working for him. And, you know, he's been really good this year for the most part. And he can get away with the stuff that he has because of his pinpoint command. He didn't have that command in this game. But here's the stat. I know you mentioned the game that he gave up the Grand Slam. He inherited the bases loaded, if I remember right. So only one of the runs was charged to him. So prior to this, he actually had not been charged with more than three runs in any game this year as a starter or a reliever. And he gave up six in this one. So a truly uncharacteristic outing for him. Now, you hope that this was the exception and that he can get back to being who he was. But I think we've known all along. We have fun with it. We love the guy. But there's a reason you're 34 years old and you've barely been in the big leagues. And we're finding out why. But hopefully this was the anomaly. He can get back to being at least the guy who gives you a chance give up three runs or less, five or six innings. But this one was, I, I think, by far his worst outing of the year. Even with the outing, his ERA for the season is still below four at 366, which tells you the kind of season that he's had. That's a credit to him. Balls were flying out of Nationals Park on Wednesday night. That was true. I mean, six total homers in the game, but he got hit hard. I mean, that was that was not a good outing. Hopefully better from our guy Paolo the next time that he pitches. In terms of the Nats' bullpen on Wednesday night, three relievers combined to allow three runs, two earned, and four innings. You had Jeffrey Rodriguez giving up two runs in two innings. Javi Guerra, an unearned run in the top of the eighth off that error, that throwing error by Alcides Escobar. And then Andres Machado tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. Could you tell what was going down between Rodriguez and Hoskins? So mention the two runs given up by Jeffrey Rodriguez. Top of the seventh, he issues a one-out hit by pitcher Reese Hoskins. And that was a dangerous thing that went near Hoskins' head. I mean, I don't think it was intentional or anything like that. That's Jeffrey Rodriguez. He doesn't know where, you know, 80% of his pitches are going. And then after that came a went-out first pitch two-run homer by D.D. Gregorius. And it looked like Hoskins and Rodriguez were jawing at each other as Hoskins rounded the bases. Uh, what did you see there? What did you maybe even hear there? Yeah, so on the hit-by-pitch, which, by the way, it I mean, it was a dangerous pitch, but it barely touched him because he bent over it, like maybe grazed the back of his jersey or something like that. But Hoskins immediately, as soon as it happened, looked at the Phillies dugout and sort of pointed at them as if to say, like, see, I told you. But maybe he was expecting something like that to happen. Again, there is no reason for Jeffrey Rodriguez to throw at him. And we've seen Jeffrey enough to know that he probably um, doesn't really have the command to intentionally do that, to be honest. That was an accident. So there was that initial like him, Hoskins, like motioning to the dugout. It struck me. The body language struck me as if to say, like. See, I told you he was going to throw at me or something like that. So then he's on first base, and I'm not even sure that the ball had left the yard yet on the Gregorius home run. He was already yelling at Rodriguez from first base as he was starting to make his trip around, and then you saw Jeffrey yell back at him. So there was definitely something going on there. Who knows what exactly was said, but it seemed to me that Hoskins was kind of overreacting to the hit by pitch, maybe because he had just homered in his last at bat. I suppose so. But to me, if you're going to do that, you got to know who you're talking about here. This was not Max Scherzer on the mound. This was not Paolo Espino, who, you know, is a control artist. This is Jeffrey Rodriguez, who does not always know where the ball is going to go. So I'm not sure that there was anything for him to actually be upset about, other than the fact that he probably saw his life flash before his eyes on a pitch that got away. But it seemed to me like it was much ado about nothing. And thankfully, it didn't carry over and turn into anything because, you know, I was thinking this could get ugly real quick if, if somebody doesn't handle it the right way. Yeah, you know, we don't know who did what. 
Jeffrey Rodriguez, though, strikes me as someone who would benefit from the sticky stuff being allowed again, because like I said, he doesn't know where so many of his pitches are going. And I I wonder sometimes if you asked hitters, do you think most hitters, I know the sticky stuff helps pitchers, right? With the spin rates, so stuff like that. So I don't know if you're a hitter that you want the sticky stuff back to where it was, but there's got to be at least some portion of major league batters who are like, it wasn't that bad with the sticky stuff. And at least when I'm facing, you know, the Jeffrey Rodriguez's of the world, I can safely bat, you know, and I can understand that a pitch is not coming from my skull. I just, I wonder sometimes that maybe some batters think the sticky stuff should be allowed, especially for guys like Jeffrey Rodriguez. Yeah, I've actually heard it from many big league hitters. And that is to say that they are okay with, you know, pine tar, with something that is minimal, that is just designed for grip. Now, where they have an issue is when you start getting into concoctions that are made to make the ball do things that it's not supposed to do. And, you know, that's the spider tack. That's the, you know, combination of uh, sunscreen and rosin and all that stuff. But I've heard from many players, managers, pl- plenty of people in the sport who are okay with pitchers using something that is just used for grip. Now, you know, thankfully, it hasn't really been a big issue this has been going on for like a month now or something. We really haven't seen or heard that much about it since the initial, you know, nonsense with Max Scherzer and Joe Girardi and Sergio Romo. But yeah, I think anytime something like that happens, there's still going to be a tendency to say, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if some pitchers were allowed to have something on their fingers that would allow them to get a better grip. And I think that's what everybody or a majority of them actually wanted was just don't send us from a hundred to zero and don't do it in the middle of the season. Like give us a chance to ease into this and give us something that is uniform across the league that everybody can use that is approved beyond just the rosin. Because I think there is concern about health and safety of players when you have slippery hands throwing baseballs at people's heads. It does seem like hit by pitches are up. I don't know if the data backs that up. It does seem though, like just watching Nats games, every game you have at least one or two hit by pitches. And I'm not sure that you had that in the past. But offense did go up initially anyway, off the crackdown. And like you just said, it's not been that big of a deal in terms of, you know, games being slowed down and pitchers getting in all kinds of issues with umpires. You know, that initial drama between Max and the Phillies, that was an outlier. And people took that bait and ran with it. And I mean, I I don't just mean fans. I mean, the media, too. The media really overreacted to that game between the Nats and the Phillies, you know, a month or so ago, whenever that was. And you haven't heard word one since then about a pitcher being upset about being checked or anything like that. All right, game four, Nats-Phillies. Nats trying to avoid the four-game sweep. If you count Wednesday night as a loss, that'll be a Thursday afternoon game at 4.05. Joe Ross versus Aaron Nola. So we'll spin the wheel and make the deal with old Joe Ross and see uh, what he can do. Ross is not coming off a good outing. 6-3 loss to the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Saturday night. Five runs, four earned in four and a third inning. So we got a lot of good feedback to our conversation in the last installment of the Nats Chat Podcast about the Nationals not having locked up more of their homegrown players. And, you know, we went through, hey, there's a, there actually are baseball reasons for this. And the history of these mega money contracts is just abysmal. And almost on cue, we got this major news item on Wednesday afternoon. The Los Angeles Angels announced that Anthony Rendon is set to undergo season-ending surgery to repair a right hip impingement. His season is over. Anthony Rendon this season in what is year two of his seven-year, $245 million contract with the Angels, in what is also his age 31 season, played in just 58 games, batted 240, slugged 382, and now is done for the season with a right hip impingement. 
If you know your Anthony Rendon history, you know that this is not the first time he's been injured in his career. He was far from an Ironman with the Nats. We're not trying to gloat over this, and we certainly wish Anthony Rendon well. We don't root against the guy or anything like that. But this is another example of how these contracts just come back to bite these teams. And maybe Rendon thrives moving forward. He's a very talented person. But you know what's more likely is that he keeps getting hurt and that his performance declines as time goes on. And this was kind of like a flashing little neon sign, I thought, on Wednesday off what we discussed in the previous installment of the podcast. It definitely drew a lot of attention here at Nats Park when that news came out. Uh, it was during BP, I think about 4.30, maybe 5 o'clock when that news came out. And it's disheartening. You know, again, none of us want to see him hurt. He's a great player. I loved watching him play every day. Uh, the consistent excellence that he put together in the field at the plate and all that. But it is a little bit of a reminder, like we were saying, that these kind of deals, especially as you get in your 30s, more often than not, they don't work out. Now, he's got a long way to go. And maybe he comes back next year and he's 100%. But when I heard hip impingement, I thought to myself, that's not necessarily something that once you come back from it, you're back to your old self again. Like, that's the kind of thing that can linger for a while. There have been some very good athletes' careers that have been ended by hip injuries. And Bo Jackson's the famous one. This isn't that. But, you know, there are others. Albert Bell. It's not a place that you really want to have things go wrong for you and that you want to have surgery on. So you hope that that's not a big uh, sign of things to to go completely downhill for him. But the timing was impeccable given what we've seen here lately. And I'm sure if you're Mark Lerner, as much as you love Anthony Rendon, a little part of you is saying like, see, this is why we were leery about giving him. This is why we're leery about giving Trey Turner a contract extension. And if you're of the feeling that they blew it, that they should have spent more to try to keep these guys This is not ammunition on your side. This is ammunition on the ownership side. There really isn't anyone you can look at who the Nats have let go and you say, man, did they blow it in not re-signing that guy. There just isn't. Every one of these guys has either struggled or has not been great enough to where you say, well, it's a slam dunk that they should have given that guy what was necessary to keep him. I mean, honestly, the guy who's done the best at this point, if you're being truthful, is Bryce Harper. And, you know, not to relitigate all that, but I don't regret the Nationals not having re-signed him. And I think most people don't. So you're right more often than you're wrong if you just say no. If you, you know, and it's not always easy. I get that, especially coming off a World Series title, right? Like, what are you going to let both Rendon and Strasburg go? Let them both walk in free agency? But looking back on it now, just less than two years later, the answer is, yeah, that's exactly what they should have done. They should have let both walk and they should have been better prepared better equipped to replace those guys. And they weren't. And that's a problem. That's why we had the sell-off last week. But that news on Wednesday, I'm like, geez, we were just talking about this and something like that happens. Understand, Anthony Rendon has played in 150 games or more one time over the last seven seasons. That's it. One time. He was not a pillar of durability with the Nats and Nats continuing now with the Angels. So again, wish him well. You know, don't want to see the guy fail, but the reality is what it is. The other thing that popped up during the day on Wednesday, and I had to laugh When I saw you tweet this, I I couldn't believe this. The MLB schedule for next season (laughs) came out on Wednesday. Did you know it was coming out on Wednesday? No, I did not. I did not. And you mentioned it just the other night on the podcast, right? Yeah. MLB is the worst with its schedule. And and I understand it's a 162-game schedule. Like, is it that big of a deal when the schedule comes out? No. But you know what? It'll never be a big deal if you purposely don't make it a big deal. And that MLB on some random Wednesday in August just drops the schedule for the 2022 season. Zero buildup, 
zero fanfare, zero attempt to try to make it something. The NFL does such a great job with its schedule release, and people mock that. They're like, oh, who cares? It's schedule release. No, people get into that every year. And again, it's different, right? 17-game season versus 162-game season. But again, in this day and age where you are competing like crazy for people's disposable income and people's interest in your product, you have to do everything you can to make everything you do a big deal. And if you yourself don't make something a big deal, no one else is going to view it as a big deal. And MLB, it's almost like they go out of their way to make this not a big deal. Some random Wednesday, oh, here's the schedule for next season. It just is incredible to me. MLB does not have a clue how to market itself. Yeah, my personal feeling is, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you on that, but I don't really care that much about the schedule. But the two things that that I would like to see different here are, number one, why does it have to be announced during the season? Can't that come out after a season? Does it have to be out this far in advance? It's August. We should be touting playoff races and, and uh, you know, the rest of this season before we're talking about next season already. So that's number one. And number two, and this is actually what bothers me more, is the complete lack of creativity in the schedule. The Nationals are going to open next season at the Mets. And if that sounds familiar to you, well, it is very familiar because this is going to be the fourth consecutive year in which they will have been scheduled to face the Mets on opening day. Now, twice it didn't actually happen. In 2020, because the schedule wasn't the same as it was originally planned because of COVID and didn't start until July and they redid the entire schedule. And then this year they were supposed to play them. And of course there was the outbreak that wiped out the first three games. So the Nats ended up hosting uh, the Braves. But can we have a little variety here? Not just the same division opponents all the time. And I looked at this in their history The Nats have faced NL East teams on opening day in all but two seasons. They had once where they faced the Cubs at Wrigley Field, which was a lot of fun. That was 2012. And then once they were in Cincinnati against the Reds in 2018. That was Davey Martinez's first game as manager. Those are the only two times. And it's not just them, like everybody. It's for the most part, it's division matchups. Obviously, there's five teams per division. So somebody has to face somebody else. But I started thinking about this today and like, why not try to do something a little more creative and create some more buzz with some other matchups, whether it's good teams from other divisions or even here's a crazy idea. How about one year? Just do interleague on opening day at play your interleague rival. Let's go Yankees Mets on opening day. Let's go Nats Orioles on opening day. Why not? Like do something different so it's not just the same thing every single year. I get it. It's opening day. People are going to turn out no matter what, who you're playing. doesn't matter. But I got to tell you, I'm sick of the Mets on opening day. I'm sick of the Braves, the Phillies. It's always the same thing. And I heard the schedule was coming out maybe an hour before it did. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe it'll be a little different this year. Maybe we'll get somebody from the Central, maybe somebody out West, something different. And then it comes out and I look at it. It's like, oh, they're at the Mets. And then the home opener is uh, against the Phillies four days later. It's like, man, been there, done that. That does nothing for me at this point. I didn't realize it had been that frequent. Nats, Mets on opening day. That's something. I want to make clear too. Yeah, it isn't that big of a deal, the MLB schedule. I understand that. But the onus is on MLB to try to make it a big deal. Again, it's your product. Sell it. Dress it up. Make us care. MLB has its own network. MLB network. Do a one or two hour special. It doesn't have to be breaking down every game, but, you know, announce the schedule, talk about the ongoing pennant races, like make it a thing, make an attempt. To me, it's such a give up attitude to just drop it in the middle of a Wednesday, some random Wednesday in August. You know, it's interesting. MLB for years hasn't maximized things like the schedule release, like the draft. MLB changed when it did the draft this year, right? Did it on a Sunday evening. The draft actually did a pretty decent number. You know, trying to dress it up a little bit worked. Try that with the schedule. 
Okay, the NFL has done such a great job with its schedule release. Try to learn something from the league that right now is blowing you out of the water in terms of popularity in this country. So I I just got a kick out of that. When I saw you tweet that, I was like, oh, my God, the schedule's coming out today. Like, where did that come from? I was thinking of you because I know you had just mentioned it just the other night about how random it is when it comes out. And um, yeah, even earlier than usual, I I was, you know, figuring out sometime later this month, probably. But nope. Here we go. August 4th, 1 p.m. on a Wednesday. There it is. There's the there's the 2022 schedule. All right. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We get a very nice email from Larry Cohen about our conversation about Trey Turner and the Nationals' lack of signing homegrown stars and why that is. We appreciate that very much from Larry. Uh, we got an email from Steven saying this. You guys mentioned recently with the uh, added guys to the Nationals organization and them playing so quickly. Isn't that more a statement on the Nets farm system than the guys themselves? Not saying they aren't capable, just that the farm system still needs an infusion of players. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the Nationals now have an elite farm system, but at least it's a little more respectable. Before they called up Josiah Gray, the Nets had four of the top 100 prospects in baseball per MLB pipeline. That's pretty good to have four of the top 100. It wasn't that long ago the Nats had zero of the top 100, and then it was, you know, one of the top 100. More recently, it was four with Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge and Josiah Gray and Kibir Ruiz. So, I mean, you got to start somewhere. But yeah, no doubt, like when it was six of the top 16 prospects in the Nats system per MLB pipeline being new guys, that is an indictment of the Nationals farm system. It was in a really bad way prior to these trades. Yeah, no, it was. And that absolutely is part of the equation. And it's why... You know, the trades are important, but that's not the only thing that's going to get the Nats back to where they need to go. They need to draft better. They need to develop better. It has been a problem for about at least five, six years. You know, really, we we talked about, you know, going all the way back to Rendon in 11. Since then, they haven't really hit on a first round pick the way that you would expect to. So that needs to get better. Now, Cavalli looks like he's going to be the real deal. So that could be good. You know, you hope that Brady House can also at some point come up and do something for them. But it's going to have to be a combination of things here. You can't rebuild it only through trades. You do have to develop your own guys. And this is just the start of that process. And before we say goodnight, I'm just going to tell you, as we've been recording, I've been watching Max Scherzer's Dodger debut. And he's got two outs in the seventh, nine strikeouts, 105 pitches, up 7-2. He gave up a first inning homer because that's what Max Scherzer does. And then he's been great ever since. And it looks like he's about to get out of this with the lead intact and kind of a classic Max Scherzer start. And it's weird seeing him in that uniform in that stadium. It really is very odd to see it. The crowd's on their feet cheering for Max Scherzer at Dodger Stadium. I I don't know. It's going to take a while to get over this. Yeah, I said it recently. I do think he's going to thrive out there. I think he's going to do really well. And uh, not surprised to hear what you said, including the first inning home run. That's as predictable (laughs) as the sun rising in the east, it feels like, with some of these max outings. One more email real quick. Jack from Rockville, he says, Hey, Alan, Mark, love the pod. I'll be getting surgery tomorrow. And the Nats Chat podcast will be a significant part of the recovery process. All the best to you, Jack. Appreciate that very much. Very cool to hear something like that. Good luck, Jack. We wish you well with all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, all right. All uh, Nationals radio highlights on the Nats Chat podcast are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. You can email us your Nationals thoughts. Uh, hit us up, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us as well at Nats underscore chat. If you don't already subscribe to the pod, please consider doing so. That costs you nothing. And if you haven't already, please give the podcast a five star rating and write just like a one-sentence review, or more if you prefer, saying how much you like the podcast, doing those things helps out a lot. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 
and I have been around the game a very long time. And we just saw something that I don't ever recall. As Scherzer came out of the game, and everybody knew it was his last pitch, and fittingly he struck out Chaz McCormick, his 10th strikeout of the game, he walked one. Back to the dugout, and he gets a curtain call. You ever see a pitcher get a curtain call? No, I don't remember it, and this entire stadium was vibrating. Oh, my goodness. What a brilliant first outing for Scherzer. Seven innings, two runs, five hits, ten strikeouts, and one walk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.